Hi, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Stories of the Supernatural. Whether you're watching a video or listening to a podcast, please like and subscribe to us so that you can get notification of when a new show is released. Links to videos or MP3 files can be found on MiamiGhostChronicles.com. Go to MarlenePardo.com for information on new book releases. I narrate several podcast series that can be found on major podcast platforms and can also be listened to via Alexa, Sonus, and other home systems. Look for Supernatural Storytime for scary storytelling, Nightshade Diary for classic horror and adventure stories, Stories of the Supernatural for interviews with different guests on the show. If you want to get noteworthy news about the paranormal world, true crime conspiracy stories, and anything that is just plain weird, just visit Stranger Than Fiction Stories tab at MiamiGhostChronicles.com or find us on Blogspot. I want to thank you for being part of my audience, and I think you are all wonderful. <clears throat> Hi, everybody. How's everybody doing? It's Marlene with Stories of the Supernatural. Everything good? Good. I'm good, except I'm running a generator power. It's a long story, but away we go. Anyway, besides that, um, number one, I want to remind you to sign up for the newsletter. That's number one. Um, number two, I hope you're tuning in for the news, the paranormal news, eerie.news. Okay. Number three, because I know some people have asked me, what about the chicks? I had one of my hens hatch six chicks. I lost one of the chicks, but I've got five. And it's really weird because I had two hens that co-opted the nest and they're both raising them. All right. So I've got five chicks, one naked neck. Yay. And the other day I went to a nearby feed supply place, which shall remain unknown. And there is such a demand for chicks that when I got there, all their bins, they have these big metal bins, which are usually, they've got all the different breeds of ch chicks or whatever. There was, how's this? There was eight, well, 11 chicks left. And this other lady came and I said, how many are you going to take? And she said, I'm going to take three. I told the kid, you know, the guy that was attending us, I go, I'll take the rest of them. They're blue Andalusians. Beautiful chickens. I've never had that. I have one that I think, one of mine is already a mixed Andalusian. But yes, because I think everybody's getting the message about, I think I need some chickens for eggs. All right. So yeah, besides, so I'm going to, I'm going to get some videos or movies of, of the, the, the five that we hatched here. And also the eight Andalusian chicks that I've got with, uh, you know, with, uh, the heater lamp, uh, in my shed. Yes. Never a dull moment here in Chicken Kingdom. But anyway, guys, let's get on to the good part. And the good part has to do with who is the guest today. Now, this gentleman has been here before, but it was a few years ago. His name is Kyle Cobb. Now, he has traveled to sacred sites across the globe, encompassing 59 countries. He's been able to encounter many of the world's mysteries firsthand, from Egypt to the jungles of Guatemala. There's scarcely a pyramid in the world that Cobb has not climbed or explored. He has spent time in the homes of shamans and watched the Mayan sun-death rituals as a welcomed guest. From presidents of countries to impoverished villagers in the Middle East, 
Cobb has been honored with a chance to embrace their lives. With each adventure, his understanding of the universe has changed, and according to him, quote, many people dream while they asleep about unknown exotic places. I've always believed that the dreams I have in waking moments are far more useful. Without these waking dreams, I could not see the magic and mystery that surrounds me. If I can see the possibilities, then I can realize them, end quote. If I can, having studied 22 different religions over a decade ago, Kyle Kyle was called to enter the field of paranormal investigation unexpectedly. A young lady needed help commented Cobb, and when someone asks for your help, you do what you can to try to help them. Back then, my first team of paranormal investigators didn't know what we were doing. We got lucky, and the impossible found us. Over the past few years, he has come to be regarded as an international specialist and lecturer on the history of demonic cases from around the world. Often speaking to beyond-capacity crowds, he's developed a reputation for discovering the hidden truth behind many of the world's top supernatural events. Often, Cobb's reputation has been earned by revealing perfectly natural causes behind the hysteria. Yes, I remember. I remember our last show. How, how are you doing, Kyle? How are you doing today? Let me bring you on. I'm doing great. Uh, you know, what's the line? Money and for free? <laughs> I'm telling you. You know what? I've never forgotten the interview. I, I, never, I, I never forget my interviews, but I remember because in our first interview, we discussed the Bell Witch. And you shed a lot of light um, about all the stuff going on around the bell, which as far as how, you know, how truthful it is, in other words, because that's a very well-known haunted story, you know, things like that. And even now, I believe they still have people come and tour there, right? Oh, yeah. That's a, it's a big tourist trap. Of course, they make more money off the rap than they do off the bell, which tour. <laughs> Well, you know what? It's, I guess, because it was um, documented, from what I understand, way back then, uh, and supposedly credible uh, citizens uh, put in their two cents worth, and then it took off from there. But I remember in our conversation, a lot of the factual history uh, concerning the witch was not really that accurate as to who she was historically, in other words. Right, and, and the, the punchline to the credible documentation, um, to get to the punchline on the Bell Witch story, uh, there was a thing that went on in the 1880s and 1890s called the Liars Club. And it was played by newspaper people all over the U.S. And the way you won was by telling either the best life of the day or the week or the month or the year. And people a figure like back then it was let's say quarter arbitrarily so the best lie of the day five cents the best lie of the week five cents from everyone who got that there was playing and then the best lie of the month five cents for every week for every <laughs> can you imagine it was a lovely thing that newspapers played and that the, the reading public was in on now with this place into the bell witch there's a little place called Clarksville, Tennessee, and it had the Clarksville Tobacco Newspaper. And that newspaper, it's been going since the, sometime in the middle 1800s. The gentleman who owned okay. the Clarksville newspaper wrote the first entry of the Bell Witch for the History of Tennessee book. And so that story, that Bell Witch doesn't have any kind of death or really anything going on other than talks about this entity. 
Well, what makes the Bell Witch famous now, though, was a gentleman named Martin Van Buren Ingram wrote a book, and that was the Bell Witch. And it supposedly went back and documented the history, and he tells it in three parts. It's like, here's the history, and if you don't believe the history, here's the double secret diary that no one's ever, no one ever will see. And if you don't believe wow, yeah. those, the third section is letters from people that are dead that you can't possibly confirm the story with. Yeah, conveniently so, huh? These guys lived in the same tiny little town. And so there's a lot of evidence to say that they conspired to create the Bell Witch to win the prize. And there's actually some sure. contemporary evidence to say they actually won for that year, uh, both the year that the Bell Witch got in history of Tennessee and the year that Van uh, Buren Ingram So, um, you know, I'm one of the few people banned from going to the Bell Witch tourist trap. Uh, but um, you are. Oh, yeah. I wonder why. I'm brought up because, they, you know, my book and my book. So, you know, it is what it is. Deep but. six, deep six, the money, the 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 money making thing. You know, I was like, what? Get him out of here. <laughs> of course. I'm a historian first and foremost. And mm -hmm. Care what the truth is. I just want to know what the truth is and share it. And that, that's just right. been well it's like everything sometimes like you said something gets retold enough times and it becomes fact and then anybody that could say no that wasn't it has passed away so that's it it becomes the truth right and you know there's a lot of we talked about it before there's just historical holes uh, one of the big claims to fame is Andrew Jackson went you know and, right yes well he was a famous general at the time and he had a secretary that literally kept a log of his every activity okay and we know for a fact that during the alleged period of the bell witch he was nowhere in the area so it's things like that <laughs> it starts to fall apart um the entity in the bell witch is uh, referred to as katie bats um right and part of that is it turns out when you dig in the historical records she was actually the sister-in-law of John Bell. And she, right, she was family. Yeah, she wasn't rich like the, the Bell Witch book um, She didn't own slaves, which the Bell Witch book claimed. As a matter of fact, they were such a close family. She went out to um, Adams, Tennessee, uh, where, well, that's where it is now, but she went out there with the Bells because they were all family. And it just happened that they got there Shortly after arriving, her husband was trying to pick apples in an apple tree and fell and broke his back. Okay. And so he was an invalid. And so they had no money at all. And okay. the whole kind of rivalry that uh, Martin Van Buren Ingram puts in his book actually came about because John Bell was a bad man. Uh, John okay. Bell was the main figure in the Bell Witch that allegedly killed by the enemy. John Bell was a slave trader. Oh, wow. He had to flee to Tennessee because there was an allegation that he murdered someone in North Carolina. And okay. the family had to basically flee. And okay. part of the deal that they worked out. So this character, this family, all of them move out there. And eventually John Bell gets into an argument with Katie Bat's brother over okay. a And 
Part of it has to do with a deal to sell the slave that then the owner could, the, the one that was buying it, the, the brother the brother of uh, Katie Vats couldn't afford to pay it. So then John Bell tried to charge what's called usury. He tried to try pay a penalty. Okay. And that was prohibited. They, they yeah, were, right. That was against the law. Yeah. yeah. Well, not only was it illegal, but it was also against the church. Mm-hmm. So he was tried in the church and they found him not guilty. Then he was criminally charged. And because of the criminal charges, the church reversed it and reversed the decision. So John Bell, you know, there was a legal issue that went on. That's why the Bells were never buried on church property. And that, that's why... The they guy, weren't. None of the Bells were buried on church property because they were excommunicated. Let me tell you something, that's a big deal. Back then, that was a big deal not to be mar- uh, buried in consecrated ground or hallowed ground. Wow, they were excommunicated. Everybody, <laughs> well, the, the family was but the immediate family, right, which means their children, by virtue of that, are excommunicated. Yes, right, that, like, annulled any kind of baptism or membership into the church. Wow, yeah. <laughs> and you know, the other thing I, I was about the bell, which the bell, which I keep wanting to say to her strap because I'm programmed to do that, but the bell, which uh, experienced a decay. That's about half a mile from where the family may have lived. Nobody really knows where the family's house was, contrary okay. to what everybody says. Uh, about a hundred years ago, they actually tore down the cabin and lumbered it, and it was used to build one of the Bell children's houses. Right. House eventually burned down. So, so that's it. Yeah, and we they don't even know where the actual uh, graves are, other than, you know, now there's a... a an artificial place that's been, this is where the graves are, the right. mark, but there are no bodies under there. And right. they, you know, that's just a memorial that was set up by the family years later. The original gravestones would have been wood, and that wood long. That's it, that's gone. And yeah, so it's all gone. So the, the tour, when we talk about like the tour thing up there, what really the linkage is, it was on the Bell property, but they had 200, almost 200 acres. Everybody originally was granted 202, but the bell got because the, uh, the Red River cuts it off. Okay. So they didn't get quite that. but So it's still a property, but honestly, it's too far away to have really been practical. It's like a cooling cave, which is a theory. Um, but it was a Shawnee Indian cooling cave, and there are Shawnee artifacts that are found there all the time. The last time I was allowed to be in the cave... I actually found a Shawnee Arrowhead. Really? The grave that's in if you actually go to the tourist thing, mm-hmm. it's stolen from about a mile away, or removed, shall we say. Okay. It's not native to the cave. Um, okay. But it, in and of itself, the cave's a really cool cave. It just says Right. Nothing. Right, so, because supposedly these caves are the source of the bell witch, whatever the spirit was. You know, this is supposedly... Yeah, uh huh. Just like most of Tennessee, there there's tons of the limestone caves that snake their way through that mm-hmm. state, and this just happens to be one of them, and it's accessible from a large entry at the river. So you know, there's, there's most of the caves are inaccessible. Let me ask you something. This guy that wrote that book, why do you? Th- I mean, obviously, why did he come up with that idea of all things? Was it just he just thought, okay, like you said, it was a conspiracy? In the in the town, yeah, um, it, it was 
uh, Ingram and Mr. Goodpatch knew each other. Like I said, they were in their little town, mm-hmm. kind of looking for a story, and that was just down the road from Athens. Okay. And, you know, it, you're late 80s, 1890s, when this became a reality. And the Bell Witch was supposedly a story from 1814 to the 1820s. Right. It, it was just something that um, historically, there were always kind of ghost stories and stuff lingering around Tennessee in general. They just mm-hmm. gave the ghost story a face. They gave a location. Sure. Someplace just down the road. So it was, for them, it wasn't that hard to come up with. Right, right, right. It's like, the real fact. if we're going to tell a whopper, let's tell a really big one. <laughs> yeah, and the best thing about telling a lie is you use little bits and pieces of truth. Yeah. And there was still enough known about the people that lived in Adams that they knew the names. Right. Like, them, you know, were still there. They also would have had access to the church's excommunication record. Okay. And so I think that's that's one of the reasons why if you look in the Bell Witch book and you look carefully, there's lots of names specifically given in there. Mm-hmm. Um, you're a Mason. You, there's also lots of Mason jokes and things built into it. Okay. But again, it was another wink, wink, nudge, nudge to kind of sell yes. the book and to sell the lie. Um, and, you know, it's just like a lot of stories um, that maybe being told as a tall tale. Takes on a life of its own, huh? Yeah. Are, is the family that's there, are they descendants of the Bell family or yeah, no? They, there are, because you have to remember it's the generation of Right, yeah. Multiply, multiply. So, yeah, um, actually, um, uh, we actually have uh, one that regularly works uh, with me uh, in some of the events that we do in Tennessee as well. So, yeah, it's the, the family's there, the descendants of them. And, okay. You know, well, like Betsy moved way away. She sent to the Mississippi, I believe it was Mississippi, and she was okay. the female focus on the story. But, yeah, the Bells have lived in that area for generations. And you know, some wow. of them are still living in uh, northern Tennessee. And I, I have the pleasure of knowing, meeting, uh, knowing one of them and meeting several of them, actually. There you go. God, talk about things like you never know how far they're going to go. Because it's been so publicized that it's taken on a life of its own. I, I want to say it's one of the most well-known, recognizable. You say the Bell Witch and like people go, oh, yeah, I've heard of that. Well, a lot of people, though, nowadays confuse it with the Blair Witch. <laughs> oh, yes, right, right, right. Well, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if there's people that say, I wonder if it's the same thing, you know, like the... And I remember when that Blair Witch movie came out, I, I remember seeing it. It was like, wow, this is... It's like, this is... Is this real? What is this? It was It was pretty neat the way they did that movie, you know, because it was that backwoods, like, you know, people go in there and then and talk about a... a a budget, a non-existent budget <laughs> taking off, you know, but um, let me tell which by the way, sometimes I want to say the best thing about the Blair Witch Project, we're going to do a little, is that it lets you use your imagination. Right. You know, because a lot of these horror stories sometimes are so graphic that you don't need your imagination. It's like right there in front of you. Whereas the Blair Witch was that, you know, the twig snapped, somebody goes outside and where'd they go? The stories that the people tell them gets everybody primed and their imagination is like, huh? Yeah, it's like 
like Hitchcock used to say, the mind is you know probably anything you can put on film. Let me ask you. I know you mentioned to me, and I'm gonna. It'll come to my mind that you said that there was another location. I want to say it's Tennessee or the Carol, one of the Carolinas, where there was a hotel that truly there was a haunting involved yeah, in yeah. there. Um, uh, it's called the Thomas House Hotel. It's in Red Boiling Springs, mm-hmm. about ninety miles northeast of Nashville. And um, honestly, you know, I, I've been doing stuff since I was twelve years old and doing. Uh, paranormal a lot and demonology a lot. This is the most haunted location I've ever been to. And part of what makes it different is in the right. So the hotel, the first hotel that was in that that area was built in the early 1890s, and that one eventually burned down, and another one was built on its place. And it was Red Willing Springs. No one knows what about it now, but it used to be the Las Vegas of its time. Okay. Prohibition, because it was so remote that you could drink, and so rich people from all over the United States flocked there for medicinal purposes. Yes, uh huh. Yeah. To get uh, cured. Yeah, but what makes this site different? I mean, everybody likes to claim a haunting out of the old building, but what makes it different is uh, from 1988 to 1992, a cult called Anzara owned it. And they actually own several locations. Uh, and apparently, Anzara was what we refer to as an Armageddon call. They believed that the world was okay. at an end. And they tried to practice magic, magic rituals, summoning rituals on the property. And we actually was able to find a, a single witness that was able willing to talk because she wasn't a member of the cult. She was just uh, a hippie that was staying in the hotel. And, and what year was this? Did that happen? That they were... 1988 through 1992. Okay. So that's recent history. Yeah. I mean, in the scope of things. Okay. And what makes it <clears throat> is that they were practicing these things because they thought that if they could summon a, a ghost or a demon or whatever, they thought that they could gain that secret knowledge to avoid this world end. And okay. it went from being a legitimate, legitimate religion to, as money trouble started, though, they started conning people. And okay. for 50000 or 100000 or whatever, you could talk to your dead relatives. Wow. But what the reality is from a paranormal perspective, though, apparently every single person that died on that property was summoned back. And they're more concrete oh. than any other location I've ever encountered. So wow. They told us their names, and we tracked them down. Um, one of the, the most amazing uh, figures there, there's a, a about, oh, I guess, eight or nine years ago, maybe a little longer than that, um, the first set of paranormal investigators got an EVP, and it was a little boy. And they taught, well, real Appalachian accent. And at first, they, they uh-huh. was, okay. um, but it's clearly to anybody who spent any time in the old Appalachia that it was an Appalachian accent. Okay. And he eventually told that over the years, he interacted with us regularly. And he, when you ask him how he died, sometimes he'll say, I was choked. Or sometimes he would say, I drowned. Or you'll say, how are you? And he'll say, I was cold. 
And you'll say, well, okay. what happened? And he'll say, there was no lifeguard on duty. Well, he would also occasionally call out, we thought the name originally was Billy. He would say, Billy, are you here? Billy. Uh-huh. But as I, we found his obituary, and then eventually I tracked his family and built his did all of that. And I thought okay. his brother's name wasn't Billy, it was Willie. It was just the act. Okay, his okay. Billy was the actual lifeguard on duty when Edwin drowned. And what had happened, oh. the official story, is Willie had left to go up to the hotel to get sandwiches from the, the dining room. Uh-huh. And his brother, and his brother drowned in the pool. However, oh. um, in the, the different times I've been, because I, I spent a lot of time it's a really cool place, and I don't go okay. repeatedly, but I've spent over 180 nights in this hotel just because it's that okay. Um So I've been go I go to the town, I'll eat in the restaurant and stuff, and one day I met someone that knew Willie and had gone to school with him. Wow. And he was telling me that Willie wasn't really up getting sandwiches. Willie was making out with a girl. Uh, and, and I wouldn't be surprised, yeah. So... It's just amazing because Edwin will interact with you. Um, so th let me ask you something. This, is this the same hotel that's been there since since it was, what, turn of the century, all through the time it's been there? It, the original hotel burned down in the, around 1914. <clears throat> okay. Rebuilt. But okay. it's been there 100 years now. So it's been there all along. Okay, so it's got to have quite a history then yeah. as um, far as – And, you know – not only did Edwin, Edwin will still do things like steal your keys. And sometimes okay. he'll back, sometimes he'll just leave them at random. Like, I haven't had that happen live when I was doing just a, 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 a broadcast live just because I was in the hotel by myself. Where my uh -huh. missing. And then at the end of the broadcast, I'm like, well, I'm going to put my stuff up. And I went and pulled up the bag that had been in a locked up case and had nothing to do with keys. And my keys came out. So <laughs> he likes to do stuff like that. Um, there's another uh, apparition, and he was seven years old when he died. There's another little apparition, of a female, a little girl, and the owners of the hotel, and that's what, if you Google, that's the ghost that'll say, it's Sarah. It's right. However, um, contemporary when Edwin died, there was another little girl that was the same as Edwin, but at five years old, she lived across the street, and her name was Robbie. And there was uh, Robbie's house, had, as I understand it, uh, either, it was either a coal or a wood stove. And okay. they opened it up, a spark came out, caught Robbie's robe, burned her up, burned the house up. Um, they carried her, because she wasn't dead, over across the street to the hotel. And there weren't any okay. at that point. There weren't hospitals anywhere near the 50s, um, right toward the end of the 50s, around 59, I think. Um, mm -hmm. And so she died in the hotel lobby. Okay. And so she'll sing to you occasionally. You'll, you'll catch that. All right. Um, sometimes it's an EVP. Sometimes it's just a disembodied voice. Um, and she and Edwin will interact sometimes. So really cool there. Um, there's also a, a male figure. Don't know a lot of information about him other than um, <laughs> an apparition. But we've had to disembody voices. I mean, sometimes, like one example, we're investigating and say, hey, can you come over here and touch? I think it was like a right. Voice. And he, he's like, no, come here. 
So let me ask you, how yeah. close then was that religion, that Armageddon religion? How close were they in proximity to the hotel? They were in the hotel. They, they, oh, they, they were in the hotel. They, oh. Um, as a matter of fact, when the current owners, all right, eventually they were out of town, and so the property is funded like for taxes. And right. And eventually okay. the current owners take it over. And when they took it over, there were things like in the tree back the old oak trees they found folded up prayers that were in temple okay um okay and miraculously a little bit later there was a random fire and it burned all of them up um hmm. and when they pulled back part of the renovation they pulled back the the carpeting there were circles made of feathers and other things they didn't take they it freaked them out so they didn't take photos of them but there was Apparently, underneath right. different rugs and ever and stuff. Um, there's also still. So, how long? Were, how long were that? Was that cult religion? How long were they there then? Four years, eighty-eight to ninety-two, and um, never been able to figure out what they've done. Never been able to break it. So, whatever they tried to do, somehow they found "quote unquote" real magic, if there's such a thing. And, okay. Uh, <laughs> right, either by mistake or. You know, so. sorry, audience. It's that I'm going to do my own little segue. I was doing a big burnout. I brought down one of my huge oaks. I had to otherwise. And I did a big, huge bonfire. And the smoke has gotten into my throat. And it's driving me crazy. So I usually don't do that show, but I can't help it. But anyway, you know what? <clears throat> I think that's so interesting because you were telling that, that thing that you were saying where they did something either on purpose or by accident. Basically, trying to because I've heard of some of these cults that use the, the discarnate spirits for divination or for whatever. Do you think that stirred things up? Whatever it was that they did there, I think it brought whatever had died there back in a way that blocked them. That's pretty it, sad. Yeah, it, it's you know it's. I think it's almost for them like a perpetual loop. Right, that's pretty Edwin, sad. Edwin still behaves like he was a seven-year-old. Right. You know, he'll, he seems to kind of recognize folks, but not really. And mm -hmm. So there's no real growth that's obviously that's happening. But um, the interactions with him are just extraordinary. And okay. like so different. Um, you know, one of the coolest things uh, there's a church on the property. Okay. It's now collapsed. So uh, that's the sad thing. We tried to say that we, we raised money to do it and mm -hmm. tried, but it just had bad bones. And when they went to store it back up, it broke. Uh, but toward the very end, uh, I had a group uh, out in the church. And I would spend whole evening, you know, okay. hours in the church. Um, one night I had... Um, a videographer with a, a night vision camera, high res in there. And we actually had a, a group of tourists that were uh, with us that night. And okay. uh, I was hearing some kind of moving around and that we had the doors of the church hanging shut. So it had gotten, it was a little off kilter. So the actual door mm -hmm. hand, up. and so instead of door hands, we had chains through them. And I heard some banging around. I said, okay, you know, do something impressive. Show me that you're here. Open the door. 
and you hear the chains unraveling and the oh, door and that was impressive in another sense. But I'm like, okay, sure. maybe to win, you know, because I like I debunk a lot of stuff. So I go up to the doors. Again, I rechain them, and this time I take the lock. I don't lock it all the way because the fire would all die. But right. the, the lock through three or four of the loops, and I put a chair in front of it too. I okay. I'm like, okay, that was impressive. But you know, just to prove you're here, do it again. Right after I say that, again, you hear the chains unraveling. The chair goes flying to the side. And again, this is all in video. And uh -huh. the doors fly open. Well, again, that would be really impressive twice in a row. Yes. Okay. Do something impossible. Close the doors. And the doors, you know, come back closed. Oh, God. Okay. So, it... It's just amazing the amount of activity there. And what What's the history on that church? Uh, the church was built in 1890 with the original hotel. The original hotel that was there was wooden, and it had about six outlying additional cabins with it. Uh -huh. and, um, it was originally a, a church that was Presbyterian and transformed. Uh, one of the legends that can't be proven or hasn't been able to be proven was that a preacher got caught either stealing from money or diddling one of the parishioners' wives. Uh-huh. As a result, killed himself. We okay. That. And part of the reason we can't is because this was uh, the church, like the, I guess the modern term would be, it would be a chapel of ease. Which yes. The priest or the, the elder would rotate. Oh. And yes. so have necessarily a fixed elder for long periods of time. Mm-hmm. It gets lost, and I've even contacted uh, the Presbytery there, and I can't. Right, right. People don't realize that those chapels of ease, it's not like, you know how you have a certain, either a vicar or a pastor that's assigned to that church. Those chapels of ease were, like you said, transitional, just to, if you lived out in the middle of nowhere so that you could have religious services. That is so interesting. So... <laughs> Thankfully, I guess your videographer didn't throw the video thing at you and run out. He had left the camera running. He wasn't actually, <laughs> it, you know, all this activity unfolded with the cameras running. Uh, what do you think? Who, who do you think? Or what? what's your feeling about who you think it was? I don't know. I really don't. Um, I think we had a lot of activity that was religious in nature there. <clears throat> okay. Time, you know, just to see if we would get a response. Um, originally, when I first started going there 12, 13 years ago, um, the, the it was still a church because it was still being rented out as a church for whatever denomination. Mm -hmm. And so, when we would, if we actually got up on the altar front or the, the raised stage uh, where right. the would stand, we would get a lot of extreme activity. Okay. Over time, it devolved, and they were using it more for storage. And um, at that point, music or playing any kind of um, non-Presbyterian type re religious okay. would get response. So really, there seems to have been a religious connection, but mm -hmm. don't know um, the the really. Yeah, that's where I was going with that. Do you think it was somebody that was attached to the church? 
But from what you're saying, yeah, if they were reacting to something like that, chances are they were. So there was some tie-in. Yeah, and we know between... that literally twenty yards, away, probably about twenty to thirty feet away. We know there was also a death. Um, there was a at one point the hotel had a bo- its own bowling alley, and we know okay. a drunk man came out of the bowling alley and was standing on the, the little bridge uh, across the creek there that led. Uh, from the road and he fell off and hit his head and was killed so we know he died right there too so there's a, there's a whole history of deaths on the property let me tell you something I'm, I, I have to laugh because sometimes people die and they lose their life in the, those stupidest ways you know but, had too much to drink you fall yeah. down now I, I will tell you one of the other cool things though in my historical research yes so, you know, part of it is more than when I research go all in. So, I went back and I researched the history of this area, literally going back to the time the Native Americans were still in the area, and mm-hmm. trappers were in the area that became the hotel. Okay. I'm in the yeah, roughly seventies, roughly because that was still wild and woolly back then. Tennessee okay. Part of the thing, and they saw what's called will-o'-wisps. Now, really? for the people who don't know what will-o'-wisps are, they're glowing balls of light. Yes. We would say today, if we were Zach Bagans and talking about a bug, we would call them orbs. But Right, you know, exactly, but these, that's not what they are. These were glowing balls of light at a time there was no election. <laughs> right. They were seen all throughout the area there, so next Technically, whether you believe they're paranormal, or that's evidence that says, hey, there's been something going on there for hundreds of years. And it's also important to mention the whole town is on mineral springs. Five wow. the mineral springs. And that's it's a conductor. Yeah. yeah, and also the will of the wisps. Sometimes people have, you know, they say it'll lure you out into the forest. You know, people following the will of the wisp. And before you know it, it's four one one missing missing four one one. That's that's the last you heard of. And, and we have at the the Thomas House, we have seen self illuminated balls of light. Really? <laughs> Not orbs even get camera. Literally, I put in the flies, but in the rooms, light come up and hover, and sometimes a flash. Wow. And return with a surprising return. Again, right. In other words, it's producing its own light. Photo of it's something the naked eye sees happening. That's incredible. That is incredible. Because something that produces its own light, because you know you, you get the stories about orbs or specks of dust and insect, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but something that produces its own light is not a speck of dust yeah. or an insect. That's very interesting. That is very interesting. And in that part of the country, you hear about. I want to say there's uh, something also, I want to say it's in Beaufort. Same thing where there's a light that's seen and people have tried to catch it. Right. And um, it stays either, if you try to catch it, it, there's, it always maintains a distance, the same distance. And they've never been able to explain exactly what it is or what causes it. And that's been there for quite a while, stuff like that. That's, that's, that's to me, that's incredibly. Now, I know you worked on demonology cases. Yeah. What's been happening with that? 
Um, when the world ended in the March of 2020, um, yes. everybody lost their freaking mind. Um, yes. The cases spiraled just because people really were going, you know, they, they were collectively losing their, their minds. Yes, their yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing, putting travel to help them, um, mm-hmm. usually when I get cases, one of the things I do is I work with a lot of paranormal teams all over the world. And I get okay. all over. Uh, so the first thing I will try to do is I'll try to find a local paranormal team that can go and do a field. You know, is something really happening? What what What's the observed stuff going on? Is this person on drugs? Is this person, et cetera. Um, and that's one of the things that fortunately, COVID made that really difficult because so many of the paranormal sure. things that existed prior to COVID all went away. Or yeah. At stopped operation temporarily, and many of them never came back. Um, yeah, that's been a real um, problem because there there've been ca- some cases that um, I couldn't get a field evaluation. You know, I do my best yes. through it and to screen them um, because generally, if if I do an interview with folks, I can figure out pretty quickly what is and isn't. Um, but it's still good to have on the ground. But you know. Those cases come and go, and as you get calls, you have to address them. You know, like mm-hmm. need, I will jump in a car and head or, you know, or fly or whatever's needed to go there, and th- those never stop. Right, and, you know, I've spoken to other paranormal investigators, people in this field, and they've said something, whether it's because people were cooped up or whether because of the stress or the friction of worrying, God knows it was enough to worry about, that there was a spike in paranormal activity, including darker stuff. Yeah, but, you know, most of the time, you know, I've been doing this a long time. I started kind of on this road when I was 12 years old because I had okay. a professor that wanted to teach us alternate religions and ancient religions and okay. how to Greek and Latin. And I, Spent my life studying ancient religions, and the concept of demons was just part of it. Uh, okay. then, back then, it wasn't field work; it was religious studies. And, right. You know, it, what most of the time when a case comes up, ninety-nine point nine percent of the time, it's not demonic. It's right. either a perfectly natural cause, or sure. they've watched one too many episodes of the being possessed on TV. Or, yeah, I know. I used to tell you almost based on the phone call and email traffic that week, who was the guest star on Supernatural? Which, <laughs> uh, what demon is featured in a major motion picture? What demon is in a TV show? I mean, it was that profound. I mean, you know, it was that predictable. Right, right, right. It's what is it? It flows downstream from the from yeah. the program. What's but, the cases? You know, even then, once you eliminate it down to that <clears throat> one tenth of a percent. Then most of those still aren't demonic. Most yeah. of those maybe something that's like paranormal. And I, I've got one of my puppies here, so they may be uh, photobombing. No, okay, they didn't. Don't worry about that. But you know, even then, it wasn't something that was demonic. It could be a malevolent paranormal entity or paranormal event mm-hmm. that's misinterpreted. Um, and you know, that, that's part of the whole triage. It's figuring out what do they really have going on. And, right. You know, even with that, it's 
the, the amount of true demonic cases is still very, very, very tiny. Every once in a while, you get something that right that spectrum it falls but, into that. But ninety, you know, most of the time, when a paranormal thing, well, we've got a demonic entity. No, you probably don't. Sorry, did you hear? I, I, did you hear that? I found out about it. You know, I said that that went under the radar for me. That you know, the boy that William Peter Blatty based his book on. Yeah. You know, it was a boy. He died in 2020. It turns out that at the time that the movie, well, the book was written in the movie. Yeah. He was an engineer at NASA. Well, he had already retired. Uh, he actually is the guy who invented. No, I know. This guy was really smart. Yeah. Um, he's the reason we could go to, to the space. Right. The heat. He, he, he shielded. Space program. And, um, you know, I actually, because my, my first paranormal book uh, in eight, nine years ago, whatever, my, my text, uh-huh. I actually outed him in that book. That was the first you did? Yeah. It had <laughs> ever been, you know, in a book. I said, this is the guy. And I, I, I didn't do the part of the original research. There was a, a great magazine that in the 70s had actually made the connection, but they couldn't prove it. Well, right. I was able to take their original connection and actually get verification and talk right. to and people who knew him. And so I, that I was able to the first time. And so uh, he, he wouldn't do it. I tracked him down. Um, he wouldn't do an interview because he was, he was living his own private life. Well, I heard that he kind of, that this hung over him his entire life yeah. um, because... Obviously, but besides that, he was an engineer in NASA. But besides that, it was like that he was the quote unquote the haunted boy. Yeah, but from, he didn't want anybody, even in his personal, anybody to know that about him. Well, and there's a considerable amount of evidence if you look at the case really in detail mm-hmm. that it really wasn't a possession. No, I know that. I, I was looking at some of the information yeah. and, uh, when you look at everything put together after the fact, is one of the priests, one of the Jesuits also kept a diary. And when you look, and everybody's passed away, that's the thing. All the, the priests that were involved passed away. He passed away in 2020. When you look at everything together, you kind of realize, I don't know what was going on with him. And he had some personality issues going on. Yeah, he would torture uh, as a child, according to his best friend and next door neighbor. Right. He would capture animals and torture them, nail them to the tree live, and vivisect them. That's that to me is like that's uh, that's that's very disturbing. He would also do things like he had befriended a junkyard dog, and when the neighbors he would invite friends over, right? Hey, right. He would be under the house where he could look out through the vents. Mm-hmm. He would be in the yard. He would sick them and have the dog act. Right. In other words, he would sick the dog on the. I heard one time that he even did it to a kid that was supposedly his friend. He did. He did. Which to me, I'm sorry, but that's a very dark. And, you know, when I read that, because I heard that his mom, was, she was religious. His dad was not that much, but his mom was and his grand, his grandmother that lived with him. And I, this is what I thought. She was the aunt. Well, no, there was a grandmother living in the house. The aunt is the one that was also a spiritualist as she died. And Tilly. You know, the one that they said introduced him into the Ouija board and everything. But <clears throat> you know what I was thinking? I'm thinking, what if this mom 
is seeing all these things about her son that are very disturbing. And she, in her mind, she's thinking this is, she's being influenced by the dark, the dark force, the devil, you know, because she's seeing it through the lens of her religious beliefs. Because from what I understand, she was the one that they sought out after they went to their, I think it was Lutheran, how they ended up with going to the priests. Yeah, he actually, he went to psychiatric evaluation. Right, right, right. And they couldn't, they, they found he had some problems. But this was also a long time ago when we weren't right. sophisticated. And, you know, it was that people, hey, maybe <laughs> Right, and and I'm thinking, I'm thinking. I wonder if this mom pursued it with the Jesuits because, to her, these disturbing facets about her son's personality, yeah. she she didn't put it to maybe a behavior disorder. She was looking at it as in Satan or you know, or something like that. Well, you know, one of the fascinating pieces, of the whole thing, there we talk, you hear about Father Bowden's diary. That's the mm-hmm. But there's a second diary. Okay, and right. The deal is, any time of occurs, there always has to be multiple priests involved. <laughs> and one of the right. things protocol of the Catholic Church is that exorcism is only supposed to happen in the church. And they did it in the hospital. They did part it in of the it. Hospital. They did it in the nunnery. They did it in the house that blew us. So they broke a lot of protocols as part of it. But the fascinating thing is, you know, part of the test um, is the, to have knowledge that you have. And right. the ability to, quote, unquote, speak other languages. Mm-hmm. Well, Father Baptist did, I spoke Latin to him, and he spoke back to me. The alternate diary says, Father Bowden spoke Latin to him, and the boy parroted it back. Mimicked him. Yeah. And yeah. It turns out that that was one of apparently his natural abilities. Sure. That he had a cl- not a photographic mind truly, but it, a close to that point. Close to that. Brilliant. And so he just repeated back to the Right. And now one of the things, and I don't know, I heard about this, <clears throat> and I don't know if, how much of this is actually accurate or you know how the stories go. That you know that one of the times they did part of the exorcism at the Alexian Brothers Hospital, which, by the way, was an insane asylum also. Okay. And it was then on the fifth floor. And I heard that supposedly after he was exercised, like, done, they they still decided to close down that floor of the hospital. Yeah, but that wasn't – one doesn't necessarily cause the other. Well, no, no. I'm, to me, I was, okay, if he was exercised and it's all done and over with, why would you need to close down a whole floor? Well, my understanding, that's where I think folklore has been, okay. is that that wasn't the reason the floor was being closed down in the first place. That was okay. the reason that they did the activity in that floor was because it was going to be shut down. Oh, okay, okay. over <clears throat> become unsafe. And so, okay. That was what my understanding is. That's what really happened. But over time, the legend grows, and it's like right. Because to me, I was like, "Why would you shut down an entire floor in a hospital if this is?" And I heard another part, and you tell me what you've heard. That supposedly in 1978, they were renovating that floor, and they found one of the diaries of one of the priests there. I have heard that, and 
have not been able to confirm it with contemporaneous information. Okay. However, it's entirely possible because, again, the my understanding is that area was not being used as a hospital anymore. It was just kind of a storage mm-hmm. and that eventually it was condemned and closed down. And, you know, uh, no one got, had access to it anymore. So it's entirely possible. You know, it's just like these days going through any previously shut down hospital. If it hasn't been cleaned out, um, whether it's Waverly or whether right. it's like old South Pittsburgh Hospital. When you first go in there, if it hasn't been cleaned, you will put like medical records going back. Right, know, they just leave stuff. They leave it because it was not worth the effort to get stuff that happened 30 years ago or mm-hmm. out. So just leave them there and somebody. Yep. And so whether the diary was there or not doesn't really honestly matter because there's still a. <clears throat> diary and right it, it, it's just a secondary copy of it why do you think why do you think the jesuits that were doing this decided to break protocol and do the exorcism like you said out of the normal place that they were supposed to have done it because particularly at that time mm-hmm. exorcisms in general were frowned upon i'm sure yes and you, they already had to get special permissions to do it. Right. The more they could do it out of public knowledge and the okay. more contain it, the less likely it was to cause any kind of problem. Um, however, they didn't, you know, later broke po- protocol because they spoke at a community center. Right. And the Washington Post wrote an article on it, which is the one that supposedly. William Peter Blatty later on, yeah. you know, caught a hold of. Well, and that was you actually, know, so it's like, how, how secret did they really? Well, I don't know. That article was actually like a fourth generation article that he saw. It right, right. A little bitty, like, community center giving, and the question of demons came up. And, mm-hmm. had, and I actually was able to track the original public. And so, what the legs and Somebody else saw it and said, hey, I'm going to put it in my local newspaper. And then it eventually happened that way. But even then, some of the details that he had specifically given out about, like, the location were deliberately false. Right. The house that's, or the area where some of it later on was talked about, and even in the Washington Post articles, that wasn't where any of this actually took place. Right. Yeah, they kind of, from the beginning, they kind of, like, detoured a little bit. Yeah, and they also, you know, always code name for him. You know, he was, you know, Roland. Uh, Roland Doe. Yeah. And what was the other one? There was another one that they gave him. What some yeah. of them referred to him as uh, R. Right, the, R, just R. the initial R. So, yeah, he, he was all... <laughs> yeah, and I know I that part I t- totally understand because... He's a child, whichever. Even if he was a teenager, he was still underage. He was still considered a child. And one of the things that I I read um, was that at the time of his death, he was estranged from his three children for years. And it makes me wonder. I wonder if he was just a really, you know, maybe very uh, smart, very intelligent. God knows if you work for NASA for 40 years and invent something like what he did for the space shuttles. But I wonder if he's 
there was, like you said, that personality that was torturing animals. That's like, that's a very disturbing part of a, somebody's, but you see that so often where you have the genius paired with very disturbing personality flaws. You know, it's, you know, it's hard to do so adult man based on what they did in their youth sometimes. Sure. You know, there they were yeah, <clears throat> um, this whole experience changes people. And also life, you know, if you go from the primitive, you know, time he was a child through the space age and, you know, until... Yeah. until the world has changed so much. Oh, absolutely. Or, you know, so people <clears throat> that embrace it. <clears throat> what, what the dynamics were within the children. I like to think the best, but, you know, you just never know. You never know what's going on. You know they're going to reboot the Exorcist trilogy. Yeah. They're going to... I don't know why they're going to do that. <laughs> I don't know. I thought... Believe me, I saw that against my my mother's knowledge. I went to see the Exorcist when I was 13. And I eventually had to fess up and tell her the truth because I wanted to sleep with her in her bed. And she was like, what's wrong with you? And eventually I had to tell her the truth. But that that movie just, I went to Catholic school for 12 years, okay? And I remember what a big deal it was that everywhere people were like flocking to their churches. All right. Um, you know, thinking, you know, they were getting, I mean, it really caused so much. And I'm thinking, why do they want to mess with that? Let's like, okay, everybody was traumatized by that movie back then. I mean, we're jaded now by comparison as far as, you know, the movies that you have nowadays. But back then, I think people were more innocent. How can I say that? The the, the audiences. And I think that's why everybody walked out of there kind of wigged out like, whoa. Um, but yeah, uh, and I was like, Come on, Hollywood needs to stop doing these uh, these redux things. It's like, well, you know, the only movie I can say that I like the redo of wasn't the Hollywood redoing. Uh, if you saw the movie Emily Rose, the yes, Hitler, they did it. There's a German really version of it called Requiem, and that oh. story from a psychiatric perspective. And that's as really? close to truth as you can get. They they did the same thing I did in that they took her diaries uh-huh. and they used it to reconstruct her life. Okay. It's it's brilliant. It's a different film altogether because, you know, again, you you still have the, the whole priest involvement, the stuff, but they do it to you more as a truly a travesty. Where psychiatric problems were, right. were yeah. attributed to possession, which is horrible. Yeah. And it, but so that's the one movie I've seen from a horror perspective that I went, this remake's awesome. Okay. Uh, and yes. It, so you have to read the subtitles if you don't German. But um, it's still, it's, it, even for that, top notch. I'm going to look that up. I'm going to look that up because, um, like I said, you know, a lot of, I know that they're trying to milk like a popular movie and it's like, oh, don't do that. Come up with some fresh ideas. Let me ask you, since the other day I was researching something because I was writing a little article on it. This is a movie that, this is right before William Shatner 
went into Star Trek. He did a underground cult film called Incubus mm-hmm. back in 1966. Okay. Supposedly, everybody, with a few exceptions, like William Shatner and somebody else, horrible things happened to them. All right. And um, it was... Uh, it was it was one of those weird 1960s um, black and white film, and the 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 characters had to talk in this made up language called Esperanto or something like that. And I wondered if you had ever heard anything about that because a lot of weird things did happen to people right after they finished the film, and supposedly the film disappeared like nobody could find it. And finally, it was found in 1993. It, in other words, they didn't even release it in the U.S. And it was released in France. And then it just... Whoosh, and they found it in 1993 in France in one of these archives. And then it took off and they kind of repackaged it. And I wanted to know if you had heard anything about it. Because, I don't know. Do you think there is any validity to these movies? Whether it's The Exorcist, The Omen, whatever... This one that deal with um, a cult, not that they deal, they they actually do the, they're very realistic in their portrayal of either satanic masses that people actually get cursed. Do you think that, or is that just people making up a good story? Part of it is actors in general, more so in the past than in the present, were always very supernatural or superstitious. Right. So there was that uh, feel, but then also add to it a lot of times, particularly in the older films, they took great care to make the sets feel as part of the cast, right? To give them the, mm-hmm. the feeling. That's why, for instance, the Spanish version of Dracula is so much scarier than the Bela Lugosi because when the Bela Lugosi was filmed, it was during the daylight. But when the Spanish version of it was filmed, it was at nighttime. Right. It gave that ambiance, the darkness, the feel. Sure. And I think that's part of it. Part of it is also because press agents love to be able to say, hey, and when we filmed this, there was something haunted going okay. on. Okay. Um, to give height to the movie that would otherwise fall flat. Um, you know, and then there's also such you know, we... We talk a lot, you know, I'll just use Tutankhamun, um, the curse of him as an example. Right. So they go into his tomb and then, quote unquote, everybody around them dies. That's yeah. Howard Carter. And yeah, all the newspapers were carrying that story all over the place. But, you know, part of it, we know that there were natural molds, but most of them were coincidental. And, you know, it becomes a better story when you're writing it. Newspaper story to say, "Hey, there's a curse because this person died." What did they know about Hillary Clinton? You know, it, right? It's one of those things that it sells newspapers it, and it, it it sells the story. So I think for the most part, most of that is just hype. Every once in a while, one will film on a location that may actually have something going on. Okay. But, you know, historically speaking, paranormal events aren't almost never responsible for people getting. Into- dying or you know oh for example you remember jane mansfield you know how she died that that very horrible violent under the thing and you know right before that she had done those pictures with anton levey and everybody was like oh my god you know 
she that supposedly Anton LaVey had cursed her then boyfriend and told her, "Hey, stay away from him." And because she pay, didn't pay attention, she got decapitated under the truck. You know that kind of deal. He becomes hype to sell newspapers. Okay? <clears throat> Story, and you know it's even worse these days because you have so many shows on TV that are just dedicated to entertainment, and they want to do whatever they can to grab attention. Sure. Well, just a, one extra commercial break or that one extra mention on some other network. Hey, right. All the better. So there's less reason for them to want to uh, to be legitimate. Um, and, you know, paranormal, contrary to the TV shows, is, okay. doesn't happen every day, all the time. It's not mm-hmm. a better basis. And um, way too many horror-type movies have claimed some kind of paranormal link to it. Even sure. some paranormal movies. Yeah. <laughs> some kind of person. But, uh, you know, the only ones you can give credit to are the one where John Wayne filmed in the desert right after the atomic bomb and everybody got cancer. That was a real thing. Right. And obviously it was like, man, talk about a bad decision. Yeah. So, you know, most of the time, though, it's all just hype, unfortunately, or fortunately. Right. Because um, sometimes, you know, it makes you wonder, you know, and the reason why I ask is not that these people in the set or the producers or whoever they were, were trying to summon anything Maleficent. It's just like you said, they were so well done as far as their, the backdrop and the atmosphere that they actually were able to conjure something, which is why all these bad things have started happening to people that were part of the, you know, part of the cast or even behind the scenes, because I heard, even in the Omen, you remember with the the first one with a little kid, a bunch of stuff happened to a bunch of people. Um, Again, make it coincidental, hype the story, sell the movie, and make millions. Um, yeah, something like that. Yeah, these yeah. Days, it's even, they got three movies out of the Omen, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. Like three movies. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But, but you know, also, I, I consulted on a, a a movie that came out a few years ago. That was so bad. Um, I had taken off on um, uh, they, they said, Kyle, give us, a, give us a treatment of an exorcist. We make it real. Tell us the story. And uh, I presented it to them, and they're like, this is too expensive. We can't do this. We need a cheap version. <laughs> Poor man's exorcism, please. Yeah, yeah. So, That's funny. You know, Hollywood's Hollywood. It's It's... Oh, All sure. And you can't really believe what you hear in the, the room. Well, you know what? And, I, and I'm and i sure you've seen that, Kyle, that just about every paranormal show out there, it, a regular dead person ghost is not exciting enough. Everything becomes a demon. Everything. It's like, come on. What happened to just the ghost? It's all cyclical. You know, we, we go through yeah. the whole um, apparition, then it becomes demonic. Then we go yeah. to craft, and then it kind of paranormal dies off for a little while. Then we go back through the cycles again. And, uh, right. You know, exactly. You exactly. Can trace it back through history, um, you know, to at least the beginning of the radio age, if not earlier. And, you know, e- even things like everybody talks about the shadow people. Well, the shadow people didn't prior to a radio show. 
And, you know, literally the way people describe the show people today, it's exactly the way they were described on the radio show. I actually got a copy of it. And, you know, it, it, it's just it, it's funny how okay. something in pop culture just gets embraced and we, we don't know what sources and it becomes part of what's paranormal. And what are they described exactly in that origi- original version that you listen to? It's they, the same thing? They are these mysterious people from an unknown place that go basically uh, uh, these individuals. Um, okay. And it was, I, the, the name escapes me right now. I think it was Tales for Suspense. Uh, I think it was the radio show. But um, it, it was, you know, so impacted. It was the syndicated. So it was, it was broadcast all throughout uh, the Ohio River Valley and up into New York. Okay. Um, and, you know, they, back then they didn't really necessarily do them live. They would do it live in their local area, but then they mm-hmm. would take tapes and they would send them off. So it got played to a huge audience. Right. And so that just became part of culture. But, you know, those same kind of things or why, for instance, if you ask paranormal investigators, why do you use a K2? Why do you think EMF is part of a paranormal right. experience? They're all like, I don't know. Or, you know, and you, but you look back through history, oh, it was radiation before it was electricity. Right. And that's because yeah. we didn't understand how radiation worked. And so they were running around with Geiger counts in the 40s and 50s. And then it, you know, right. you look at it, and all of these concepts have just kind of become part of the quote unquote collective knowledge with no real reason for it. Right. And a lot. And a lot of the equipment, you know, I was doing investigations in the 90s when I tell everybody when you had to develop film, you actually had to pay to develop film as in pre digital. I said, none of these things, contraptions that you see nowadays, were in use. And now everybody uses them because. Of course, to capture proof, you need the, the the this and that. You spend more time fiddling around with all this equipment than actually observing if you got anything. Absolutely. You know, um, yeah. Powers of observation are a big thing. And, you know, back then it was a question of being still, camera, and a recorder. And even back then when you had, you know, you know, before there was cassettes and then it went into digital, you know, the little Radio Shack digital recorders. And that was about it. Uh, And your eyes and your ears and your body, because a lot of times the human body, if you attune it the right way, you you will feel when something is going to manifest when you've done it for a while. And I'm not talking about a cool breeze that makes, you know, gives you goosebumps. You know, it, it, you, 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 your, your own body is, gives you like a heads up, like, hey, you know, but you, you, you can't be running around trying to, that camera, that camera, the FLIR, and then, you know, this one with a, yeah. and then, oh my God, the batteries ran out. <laughs> anyway, Kyle, thank you so much. It has been absolutely wonderful to talk to you again. Are you working on any project, any book, anything? I am. Um, I actually am writing three books parallel, which are related to each other. Are we an overachiever or what? Well, okay. this is the hardest project I've ever embarked on. Wow, uh, I would say. About, 
10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago, I wrote a history book for my hometown. I wrote okay. 1,000 pages worth of history. While I was doing that, I discovered a paragraph in a neighboring newspaper talking about a con man stealing this girl's money. Okay. And so I researched it ended up finding out this guy had traveled the U.S. and married, at that point, eight women. <laughs> that sex cult in uh, New Zealand. Holy... You know, died three or four times. It was amazing. But I, I wrote that for the history book and uh, published it for my hometown. And then uh, about a year ago, people kept asking me, Kyle, when are you going to turn this into a TV show? Right. Okay. And uh, I was like, well, never. But uh, I kept thinking about it. And so I decided to write a full-blown history book. And so... The history book's written. It's about 250 pages. Okay. Amazing stuff. This guy okay. had a traffic memory, and he was in the 1880s, 1890s, well, 18, started in 1870. 1870 okay. through 1917. He marries approximately, we don't know for certain, about 17 different women. <laughs> he was on a presidential campaign. He was going to be, he was, uh, they wanted to make him the first senator from North Dakota, but he- Are you kidding out, me? I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. He founded this cult in New Zealand that was powerful. It put the Catholic Church out of business. Um, and it, it, he's just an incredible figure. He, the, when he finally went to jail in Australia, the judge <clears throat> to prison and said he was the most dangerous person he had ever met in Australia in history. Um, so he sent us to life. Seven years later, he talks his way out of it. I was going to say, he, talked, yeah. he, got, he didn't serve a life prison, did he? Because you could tell. It, it's just incredible, this guy's story. I, and writing the, but then I got told, you know, if you write a history book, a TV company or a movie company can steal your history book and not pay you a penny for it. Because it's history, and that was what MGM, or when they did the whole conjuring thing, that was the basic conjuring lawsuit. Is you you couldn't get royalties because it's history. Um, oh, really? Because of that, it was made that if you're going to do this as history, you also have to write a fictionalized version of it. So, oh, okay. Second book, book, and then to make things even far more screwed up, while I was researching this guy. Um, I literally was reading thousands of newspapers in New Zealand. Okay. He paid a stenographer in his cult to transcribe one of his sermons every week, and they printed them in a newspaper. So I then went and I retranscribed from a horrible, horrible copy. I retranscribed 120. Of this guy, and they're all over the place. He'll take a common Christian concept and pervert it into his own twisted religion. It's amazing. So it's tell me, he died of old age in his bed? Huh? Did he die of old age in his bed? Well, sort of. It's it, <laughs> 1917. He's 19 years old. He's a preacher in Newburgh, New York, with wife and children. And he ends up doing a con job there to make more money. 
getting caught. He has to flee and goes to like the old age home for the Civil War and all of that. He eventually and goes to jail. While he's in jail, um, he apparently they find out that while he was on the lamb, so to speak, uh-huh. he buried three other women in there, and, and he's in his 90s uh, and stole their money. <laughs> he goes to jail, and while he's in jail, they find him not guilty twice. He convinces the jury that he That's can't incredible. be guilty of any of these crimes. <laughs> so then the, the, they still hold him in jail because the, one of the last women he married is trying to, to get him brought. And then, so they do a rid of his corpus had him transferred to Delaware where he married her. And the day she comes to, to do her testimony, uh, he dies of a heart attack. So really, it's like he got away with a lot of stuff, huh? They estimate that in 18 <clears throat> money, he had uh, absconded with somewhere between one and a half and two million dollars. Oh my God! Today, that would be about between thirty and forty-five million. Yes. What a con man! But those—they're—they're—they're yeah. they're, they're, they're charmers, though. That's why they're so good at what they do. You don't realize it. So that's that's your 2022. Uh, are you gonna are you gonna be publishing it this year? Yep. Um, it, the history book's done. The book of sermons is in edit. They're painful because I kept them in the Australian spelling. Wow. And okay. Uh, so that's in editing right now, and the <clears throat> book is um, in progress. It's still got a long way to go, but. This summer. Okay. Let me ask you, just for my podcast listeners, because I'll have a link to your website on the credits of the show, but what is your website address, Kyle? It's www.lastgasps.com. It's bad okay. to get it. I'll be honest with you, because my software expired. The company doesn't make it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But um, that's the best way. It's got a link up there. You can email me or okay. if there's something going really, really bad, it even has my phone number. Absolutely. Okay, folks. Thank you so much, Kyle. You have been absolutely wonderful. You have to come back. And we're going to talk about that book when you put it out, especially that con man. <laughs> that's got to be fascinating. Hey, I love mystery. <laughs> Take care. Have a good day. You too. Wow, he is so interesting to me, at least, because we talked, we talked, yeah, we talked, um, God, you know what, with this thing with the COVID, I've lost track of time, I want to say, it's going to be four years ago, three years ago, four, four years ago, yeah, what is that, time flies when you're having fun, and even when you're not, well, anyway, because I know, <clears throat> Some of you might ask about this. I want to tell a story. This article is going to be published on my uh, blog, um, Stranger Than Fiction Stories. But on that movie Incubus, I thought it was really unusual. This is this is before William Shatner becomes Captain Kirk on Star Trek, 1966. All right. There's a guy... Last name, I want to say Leslie Stevens. He wrote or produced or something, The Outer Limits. Remember, this is a big 60s show. He decides to do this underground film, shot in black and white. 
in a made-up language called Esperanto. I'd never heard of this, but it's like an amalgamation of of of, of an un- like if you decide to make a language a language now. Whatever, somebody had that bright idea. They even had subtitles. But anyway, the whole premise of the movie is about succubus, incubus. The incubus is a black goat, and supposedly there's this town where people come to get cured and one of the succubus she gets tired of seducing and basically dragging to the perdition corrupted men she tells her sister which is another succubus no i i want i want the challenge i want to take a moral man or a good man and corrupt him and of course who is a moral guy william shatner but anyway that's the gist of the story very dark, 1960s, underground, blah, blah, blah. All right. Shortly after the production wraps, there's a guy named, he's a Yugoslavian. His name was Milos Milos, but his Milos Milosevic. But he was, you know, how people would make up star, you know, um, star names. He played the part of the Incubus, all right, which in, in the movie also portrayed with a black goat I mean really really dark stuff during this time he had been dating he was married in 1964 while he's married he starts dating Mickey Rooney's fifth wife okay who he had four children with they had been married in 1960 and by 1966 they had four kids the Rooney's were busy but anyway Mickey Rooney and this wife, Catherine, she was, a, she, she was, I think, a minor actress, something like that. They were separated. And in the interim, Mickey Rooney goes off to the Philippines to film, to do a film called, I believe it was Ambush Bay. He comes back in December, finds out that his wife has taken up with Milos, which happened to have been a friend of the family for like a year. All right. He, Mickey is like, files for divorce, and then he supposedly goes into the hospital. Because he he's trying to um, he gets some type of intestinal infection from being in the Philippines, and supposedly she goes to see him, and she's like, you know, she was even willing to you know tape record him the whole thing. Bottom line, when she gets there. Her and Mickey have this reunion, and he kind of convinces her. Let's try it. Let's let's try to work this out. Let's make it work. So, she goes back to home, and she has a couple of house guests, including Milos, who's staying there. And she's kind of telling him, look, I'm going to try to make a go of this with my husband. He's the father of my children, blah, 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 blah. He tells her, Come, uh, uh, takes her to the bedroom, locks the door. The house guests, they were like, okay, whatever, they're doing their thing, whatever the case. And, and, and later on, they were saying that he didn't seem to be upset about it. Cautionary tale. Next day, one of the house guests, a woman, I cannot remember her name, says, wow, this is really weird. I haven't heard from them. I haven't seen anything. Goes to the room, unlocks the door somehow goes in and finds that turns out this guy took Mickey Rooney's 38 caliber pistol shoots her through the jaw then shoots himself in the temple 
Now, this Milos Milos, guys, is the guy that had just played the Incubus in the movie, The Incubus. The movie had just wrapped like months before. Months before. Okay? As a matter of fact, I take that back. I think the first... Um, the first victim was in the movie the part uh, the character that William Shatner plays he goes to this town with his sister again she's supposed to be virgin well, they're supposed to be like two brother and sister uh, not corrupted in the process somewhere she goes blind she's raped by the black goat of all things that actress is called Anne Atmar within weeks I want to say of finishing the film in October of 1966, she kills herself. Unknown. Why? Very pretty, no, beautiful woman. Supposedly she had done a couple, a couple of, um, I don't want to say nude photographs, but mm, a little bit mm, partially nude stuff. But anyway, she committed suicide. Nobody knows why, really. And very little publicized about what happened to her, how she did anything like that. Nothing whatsoever. That's the first one. Then January 67, we have this thing with Mickey Rooney's wife and Milos, who kills himself. All right. Um, And as an aside, it's really funny because Milos, before he goes, at one time, I don't know if anybody's, familiar with the 1960 there was a French actor named Alain de Leon de Leon and he was a nice looking guy he was like a a French um, sex symbol and at one point this guy Milos has had been his like his bodyguard and friend and I guess he had come to America had taken up with Rooney's wife and but in the meantime right about the same time all of this is happening Alain de Leon has Another bodyguard who's also Serbian, Yugoslavian, something like that. The guy in 1969, they end up finding his body, okay, in a rubbish dump on the outskirts of Paris. And supposedly there was this big scandal that came out that Alain Delon and a bunch of French government officials were all involved in these wild sex orgy parties, okay, where... Supposedly, I guess, Alain would have sex with everybody. And when I mean everybody, I mean everybody. And the BBC one time had an interview with him where they they kind of asked him, because remember, this guy, he's very good looking. As a matter of fact, he did a couple of American films and Western films. Uh, hey, you know, we hear that you like to have sex with men. And he's like, he's like blowing it off. Like, it doesn't matter as long as they're love. If you love your goat... Then you like in other words, it's like bestiality. This guy was I'm thinking, man, here's another goat reference. So that was like really weird, you know, how things like that happen. But anyway, that's a whole nother story. Fast forward to nineteen sixty eight, sixty nine. The oh, shortly after they wrapped the film, Leslie Stevens, who his production company had to declare bankruptcy. He divorces one of the stars that played one of the succubus. His marriage goes belly up. Then in like 1968, the other succubus is a... God, what was her name? Was another actress. She had been doing a lot of secondary actress, but been around Evelyn... I can't remember her, Habie or something like that. 
I couldn't, I can't remember her name right now. Beautiful woman. Died when she was 99, by the way. She had been married to an author of last name Habe, H-A-B-E. They had a daughter. They had divorced. This one daughter, Marina, okay. They sent her off to university. She was, she had just gone into university, I think, to Hawaii. She comes back to L.A. to spend the New Year's, the holidays with her mom, who had been one of the succubus on the film. So the story is she goes to a party with a young man, yada, yada. She comes back home, drives herself back home, even though they had gone out together. And somebody sees, like, in other words, somebody kidnapped her basically when she's pulling into the driveway of her house. And I want to say like the day or two days later, they find her viciously killed. I mean, horribly killed. They dumped her body off Mulholland Drive. And at some point, as of right now, they never determined who killed her. They believe that it was the Manson family. <clears throat> because as a matter of fact, <coughs> not too long ago, back then, they had discovered another girl's body who had been same thing like 60 something stab wounds when I say killed it's like horribly killed she was unknown for many many years and I think a couple of years ago they finally I don't know if it was a DNA or how they finally identified her as a tourist from Canada she was killed right about the same time and in the same method as Marina Habe or whatever how you pronounce her name so they're thinking both of them were victims of the Manson family. This is the area where these people were running around in, in the late 60s. And then another weird tie-in is that Sharon Tate with Roman Polanski both went to the premiere of Incubus when it premiered at the San Francisco Film Festival. What happens to Sharon Tate in 1969? Well, in the meantime, Roman Polanski releases Rosemary's Baby that's pretty dark there. And then 1969, Sharon Tate gets killed with her child by the Manson family. And <clears throat> that's like, that. I want to say within a three-year span after that happened, after the release of that movie, all these... And I understand what Kyle is saying. Things happen. God knows. You know, sometimes the timing has nothing to do with in other words that there's no effect but I'm telling you <clears throat> that's pretty dark stuff because it's not like somebody that says well you know what this was an older actor and they died you know it happens you hear that sometimes that's different you know people sometimes their dying is not tied into anything with a movie even if it was a dark movie it's just their battery ran out but when you have these people that are not dying from natural causes or even an illness Basically, they're being killed and savagely, by the way. Murder-suicide. Um, uh, murder, unsolved murder. Very dark stuff. So there. Anyway, guys, don't forget to go to MiamiGhostChronicles.com. I've got links there to the videos, to the podcast versions of all the shows. Catch me on Eerie.News. Try to put that out just about every day. Also, if you go to eerie.news, I have uh, articles on there. Um, 
So if the weird is your bag baby, I'm sure you're going to find it there. And I've got a lot of fantastic guests. Come back. Come back and I'm sure you're going to find that a lot of the weird stuff we talk about is really interesting. And again, and I'm going to repeat this. I know sometimes we're going through difficult times. For people, it's for different reasons, obviously. I think collectively as a whole, the last two years, more. I want to say since December of 2019, everybody's world has been rocked some more than others. And uh, it's been crazy, unexpected, not knowing. So step out and, you know, free your mind from all these worries, if you have them, or just worries in general, whatever the case might be. And let's take, not the walk on the wild side per se, but the walk on the wild side with the paranormal and the weird and suspend your disbelief. And sometimes, you know, that helps us just to take a step backward and realize that life goes on and things will be worked out. Um, because sometimes if we get all caught up in just the negative or the worry or the, how can I say, the anxiety of not knowing uh, what's going to come next, what's going to happen, how's this going to work out. Again, everybody's different. What, Whatever, everybody's situation is different. Step out with me and let's just talk some weird stuff. Listen to some weird stuff. Listen to me interview weird people or weird subjects, whatever. You know, like I get, like I said, suspect your disbelief. And I'm hoping that's just going to help you feel a little bit better and help you cope a little bit because that's all what it is. Day by day, guys, day by days. So please join me next week. I look forward to seeing you. Take care.